0: In this episode, I'll answer a student's question about what to do when you normally work by yourself and you want to use partnership-based techniques, but you run into a tough challenge with your horse, or maybe even a dangerous challenge. And the people around you are recommending harsher techniques or harsher trainers. So here we go. Episode 36, getting help with a challenging horse. I'm Karen Rolfe and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony because, yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. A student recently sent me this question, and it's actually a fairly common question. So I think I'll start by just playing the question for you.
1: Hi, Karen. My question to you is, when you're trying to train your own horse, in my case a five-year-old, And you're trying to keep it natural and apply everything you know. And natural horsemanship coaches are just few and far between. What possible, what can you possibly do when things just are going sideways? Your horse starts to become, I guess, what I would call dangerous. My leadership is not effective. Games are going well, but leadership is not going well. What, do you, what could you recommend for people who, who really, really don't want to get up but give up, I should say, but are being directed at cowboys or very harsh coaches? Um, what, what advice do you have for us? What can we do to carry on, but not get hurt, not get our horses hurt and not hurt anybody else? I hope this is a topic that others might be looking to for answers as well. Um, thank you for your time. I hope this is something we can address. Bye. Yeah. So I think this is probably something that many of
0: you listening can relate to. And especially if we get a young horse, you know, sometimes they start one way. And then when they get to five years old, that's sort of the terrible twos in the horse world because they're they're physically, you know, big. They're physically fairly mature. Uh, and it's often a moment where mentally they they kind of test the systems a little bit. <laughs> so it's not unusual for this to come up at age five, I have found. And, you know, when we get a young horse too, we're, you know, we're living in the dream and the hope and the possibility. But it is a challenging situation uh, to um, start a young horse, especially if you've never started horses before, you know, the dream is that both of you grow together, but that actually is a challenge. And if you are someone who has started horses, you know that you never know what you get until you really get into it and you see how this horse learns. Um, so just know that if you're, if you've attempted this, uh, you're not alone. It, 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 it's not that you necessarily did anything wrong, but sometimes we just don't know what we have until we get in there and not that there's anything wrong with you or anything wrong with your horse, but sometimes, you know, it's a relationship. (laughs) Sometimes it ends up a bit of a mismatch. Uh, with that said, you know, I love that you're seeing this as a critical moment. You're not blaming the horse, right? Which is the first step is, not to blame anybody, but just go, okay, here's this thing happening and I need to do something about it. So I love that you're thinking about not only your safety, but the safety of the horse and the safety of people around you. A lot of times, uh, horse owners I found can, you know, they feel like they're losing face or they feel a little bit embarrassed if there's a problem that comes up and then, um, then they end up blaming the horse more or making the horse to be more extreme than he is just to have a good reason why they're having trouble. So I don't hear any of that in Michelle's question. So that's beautiful. We just have to start with, here's a problem. And what do we do from here? So there's a lot of ways for me to think about this. You know, if you're, if you're really by yourself, then it's a matter of really um, managing your goals and your expectations. And you're comparing that to your realities with this particular horse. If you are going to absolutely have to do this by yourself, you can either be committed to the horse and go, all right, well, this is not going to be a horse I'm ever going to ride, but I can figure out what I can do with him because I love having him here. He's beautiful. And that's okay. If we have only this limited stuff we can do together, safely, you know, or you can commit to your goals and go, you know, my goals are to go off and do X, Y, Z. And I can see the writing on the wall. This horse is never going to really be easy for me to do that. I'm never going to ha- be able to fully trust them. I think I need a different horse. Either one of those is totally okay. There's no horse police out there that are telling you what you you and your goals should be with this horse so number one is take that kind of pressure off yourself uh so you know does the dangerous situation come up in certain circumstances or is it like i can't even lead the horse (laughs) so we've really got to address this so you first kind of take a big picture scan those would be the questions that i would be asking you of like all right describe the problem And let's see, you know, how extreme is it? When does it show up? When did it start? Things like that. Now, I think getting help is a great idea. You know, I've been training horses my whole life, and there's still times that I need help from a fellow trainer, right? So don't feel bad if you need help, because that's just reality and it's a smart thing to do. Now, when you start thinking about how am I going to get help and who am I going to get help from, I can hear, you know, it's tricky based on your location. There might not be very many choices of local trainers. Um, but you can also think about going outside the local area, uh, for the right person. It might be worth it. Now, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, you know, there's certain, um, certain resources that I have that could get you so far. So for depending on what the situation is, you know, the habits for excellent horsemanship course would always be my first go-to for this sort of thing, because, um, it doesn't claim to be a, you know, challenging horse rehabilitation program, but it gives kind of an overview of how I feel like a relationship with a horse should be. And it might just, um, be able to help you with, with, you know, with every problem, there's like multi layers of it and it might be a help be able to help with some of these peripheral issues, uh, that could help you get to the core issue. So I, I always have to recommend my habits for excellent horsemanship course, just to kind of see how many things you can improve around the whole horse and your whole experience with the horse, um, that might, end up decreasing the big problem. And of course I have no idea what the problem is (laughs) that Michelle is talking about. So I'm have to kind of just talk in broad terms. Then if you want to seek outside help or even in seeking help from my horsemanship course, it's a little bit like, um, the last podcast I did about getting unstuck. You want to make sure that whoever you go to for help is aligned with your principles and priorities. So I'm going to assume if you're asking me a question, you kind of feel like I'm aligned with your principles and priorities. So I can recommend the horsemanship course. Maybe you're already in it. I don't know. Um, because that would be my, you know, my resource. So there's just more education you can do around the subject. Uh, I already mentioned, it's also about managing goals and expectations. So it's a good time to sit down with yourself and go, what are my goals? You know, are, do I have goals as a rider that, you know, are really important to me? So even if this horse isn't the right horse, I still want to go for my goals. Or is your goal like, no, I really want to just figure out how to be the best horse person. And any horse that comes in my life, that's going to be the thing that I learn." Again, totally okay. So yeah, you can, you can, the choices in front of you are do it yourself or get help or some sort of combination. If you decide to get help, it needs to be the right help. And like I said, if you're going to do it yourself, you're going to need to take a really good, honest, look at your existing situation your existing skill set look at your horse look at yourself look at your goals and look at your skill set and you know ask yourself <laughs> is this going to work now um i also wanted to talk a little bit about this this idea of um natural horsemanship whatever that means you know i can hear the welfare of the horse is really important to you you know, to someone like, like Michelle and her choice seems to be, I want to do this, you know, partnership-based kind of thing, but my other choice is harsh training techniques. And I just want to talk about that a little bit because I think sometimes, um, people think of, you know, partnership-based training equals gentle which equals no stress ever. (laughs) And, you know, I think then it gets people in this little bit of a bind because they want to do everything really natural. So they don't want to stress the horse out or do anything that seems harsh or challenging. But then, and then if, if the horse does have, you know, some sort of bad day and it looks like it's stressed out, then they end up feeling bad about themselves and, Sometimes this is like, it's a false, it's a false choice to say, I either want to do partnership based training, you know, and I don't want to do harsh. So either I want the horse always to be happy or he's going to be punished harshly. There's, there's some range in between and go listen to, if you haven't already to um, episode number 31, where I talk about pressure. And I think that can also be eye-opening because when I hear Michelle say, "You know, the games are going well, but the leadership is not so good," I'm sort of, and I, I'm assuming she's um, talking about like the Pirelli games, right? So Pirelli is the the organization that uses the word games, the Seven Games. Um, that your horse understands some stuff. He knows, you know, you're, you've been able to educate him with some basics, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do them when you ask. That's what, that's the kind of picture I get when someone says, you know, the games are working, but the leadership not. <laughs> it's like, I know what a court yield is, but I might not do it. I might leap in the air instead. So I just often get this picture of, you know, boundaries being blasted through or the lessons aren't, um, challenging enough for the horse that they actually change their mind and get into a cooperative state so this belief that natural equals gentle equals no stress will limit you and now as i say that for those of you who are about to you know leave a nasty comment or send me an email by saying this that you know it's okay to have some stress and you don't always have to be gentle, it does not mean that my goal is to be the opposite of gentle. It just means that I'm not afraid of a productive struggle. And you can Google productive struggle. And what it basically means is a productive struggle is a process of effortful learning that develops grit and creative problem solving. So in my teaching methods, I create a little bit of a productive struggle for my students, right? Because I teach, I don't, I'm not here one-on-one puppeteering my students through lessons. I'm giving my lessons an exercise. I'm giving them the questions they need to ask their horse. I give them some ranges of motion and things to try, and then they've got to go home and figure it out. And through that productive kind of struggle, they'll make mistakes, They'll make mistakes again. They keep trying, they keep a good attitude and then they discover it and then they really get it. They really get it more than a student who maybe is micromanaged through lessons all the time choreographed to make sure they're successful. And then when the trainer leaves, they have no idea what to do. So we can apply that same kind of idea to our horses. We don't want to move around our horses going, oh no, you're upset. Okay, never mind. <laughs> right? Or, oh, you really want to invade my space? Okay, that's all right, because I don't want to touch you because I want to be gentle. Right? So, again, there's so gentle that you never cause the horse to do anything other than what it wants to do. <laughs> and then there's unfair, harsh punishment we need to live somewhere in between and there's a big range and the flavor of that really changes horse to horse, person to person and horse person combination because it's all about relationship. So, (laughs) um, you know, I actually recently got another email from somebody who, it was kind of a vent. I can't say that it was a question, but she basically was like my horse, I've, I've, um, I've tried being gentle with him. I've saved him from the meat pen, but he keeps trying to kill me. So gentle doesn't work. So if he bucks me off, I'm going to run the hell out of him in the round pen. So that's a real email I got. So that's, that's someone who's kind of made this, like, I either have to be gentle, but if that doesn't work, I'm going to harshly punish them. And I'd say we, we don't really need to be in the opposite extremes. We need to be somewhere in a reality-based middle and we don't have to choose between always gentle, no matter what, (laughs) and harsh. And I, I keep hearing myself say, we don't have to be gentle all the time and please don't send me emails. I'm going to keep talking about what I mean by this. (laughs) So sometimes there are lessons that are hard for a horse to learn, but they can still be fair. So, of course, as trainers, we want to find just the amount of difficult, just enough of a puzzle that they have to think differently and they have to figure out something differently. They have to figure out how to change their behavior. That's what training is. And again, if you, if you're, if all sorts of red flags are going off in your brain by me talking like this, go watch or listen, watch, listen to episode 31 on pressure, because it'll kind of give a little context. All right. So with that said, when presented with any kind of challenge, my idea is to get to the core issue and to figure out you know, what's our best guess of the core issue, and then what is the message that we need to give to the horse? What's the result of the training? So this is, I'm all leading up to, you know, if we're going, we can do this ourselves, but if we're going to go get help, we need to be not just handing our horse off to some person, but we need to go in going, all right, we're trying to figure this out, and this other person is going to be part of my team. So this is the way you need to be thinking about things. The, these sorts of things way before you hand your horse off to somebody. So what is the core issue? What's the message we need to give to the horse? This is always a best guess. Um, but a lot of times people are, are trainers will tend to work at the opposite obvious end of the problem. And we need to start thinking about what's the core issue. We need to know that solving emotional issues with a horse can take time. So emotional meaning, fear, explosiveness, you know, any kind of issue that's, that's fear-based, you know, because any other emotion usually doesn't become such a big challenge. It might be annoying. You know, they're too exuberant. <laughs> they're too playful. They're too curious. You know, those usually are, are, you know, they can be challenges, but they're usually not, you know, Oh, this is going to be unsafe, but fear-based emotions um, are usually the, the core of problem issues. And these kinds of things can take time. And that's also good to know that if you have, if there's an emotional fear-based issue going on, you, oh, you don't want to hand the horse to someone who's going to wow you by their miracle breakthrough, um, technique where in three hours they can get your horse to stop being, you know, emotional. Often, you know, don't go through for someone who's trying to do a breakthrough drama session that can make a good video. Fear-based, emotion, long-term chronic issues can take some time. So you want to to know that. And also to know that within one session, um, it takes time. There's often like a bit of a wave, right? And when dealing with emotional issues, you want them to go all the way through it. You don't want to get them just to the height of it and then uh oh this is more than i can deal with and so you kind of wiggle out of the exercise or back off if you do that too many times you're just making it worse (laughs) so you want to make sure that the horse really rides the wave and goes through the you know the fear and then comes to the down from it in a natural way and that they don't go from fear to some sort of other avoidance issue or learned helplessness. And so that's why I want you guys to make sure you take the time. Don't go for quick fixes. Um, An example of, of doing that, which probably most people listening have done is just classic desensitization, right? So here's an example of not going all the way through it you know you're with your horse someone opens an umbrella your horse spooks and the person goes oh sorry and they close the umbrella and walk away so the horse learns if they spook the umbrella the scary thing goes away and now they're sensitized if you want to desensitize you got to stand there and go oh i'm you know excuse me could you keep opening and closing your umbrella in a rhythmic manner for a little while until my horse is okay with it so that process might take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, <laughs> you know, multiple sessions with the umbrella where the horse goes, I was fine. The umbrella came along and now I'm watching the umbrella long enough and maybe I'll approach it and then I'll get a little closer and then I'll put my nose on it and I'll sniff it. and I'll be like, oh, that's not scary that's an example of a natural progression through an emotional thing. And you have to do that. So the quick version is put the umbrella away. You'll solve the moment, the problem in the moment, but you won't solve solve the deep problem. And chances are, he'll be even more sensitized the next time an umbrella comes along. So if the challenge you're having with a horse is fear, emotional related, when you're interviewing your person who's going to help you, you know, you want to just make sure they're not speaking in language. Like I'll get them sorted out in an hour. (laughs) Might not be the case. Another kind of problem that you might be having as a challenging problem would be an old pattern of behavior, um, that it could have originated from fear or trauma in the horse um, or avoidance, you know, I don't want to do that. So I'm going to do this other thing instead, or it could be just a simple lack of boundaries that the horse never quite learned. You know, he, he moved forward, you move back. And, <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Now he keeps moving forward and you keep getting out of his way. And then that can, with more energy put to it, that can become really dangerous. So if the horse just has some sort of pattern of behavior that he did enough times and each time he got something that he enjoyed out of it, now he's trained himself to do that behavior. And so he's been rewarding himself for some reason. That could be also a horse that didn't wanna go back into the barn. So he did like the move where they like rear up and turn a quarter or 180 degrees around land and then they can just get the line out of you. Uh, that's a nice trick that often horses do by accident once and it works. They get to run around for a while and that's super fun. Uh, so then they do it again. You know that, um, when you go to change that behavior and let's say you're ready and you have a longer line and you're ready in your power position because you're know what you're getting into. Sometimes if that, if you interrupt that behavior that the horse has been practicing rewarding, uh, they will often get, some horses will get much worse before they get better. So they're like, Hey, that's not all right. I usually get to do this. I'm going to try it again a few more times, even harder and see if, <laughs> see if it'll work. Right. Cause they've trained themselves to do this. So this is another example of not being afraid of things, getting worse. It's a hard lesson, even if it's a fair lesson. So you just be ready. You do it enough times. The horse finally has a thought process and he trains himself that that behavior no longer works. And it's actually a lot nicer for him to just walk along. So you can do that in an extremely fair way, even though in that moment, it may not look gentle it may not look gentle to a horse to keep opening and closing the umbrella while he's scared some people will think that that's not being gentle but you can do it in a way that it helps the horse go through that wave and overcome it and really learn and really change from the inside out so the key with any exercise that you're going to do with a challenging horse is to know the intention of the exercise, right? You could use that. A, you, you know, you could have someone open an umbrella, it scares your horse and they're like, ha ha ha. And they keep opening it in an erratic way. If their intention is to like freak your horse out because they think it's entertaining, you know, it's the same movement, open and close the umbrella, but the intention is totally different. So you have to know what's the intention of an exercise and is the intention of whatever exercise that this person is doing or that you choose to do. And I, I'm thinking in the context of, okay, you're trying to find somebody to help you with your horse. Are they going to say language like this? Oh, we'll do this exercise. It'll really teach him a lesson. We'll show him who's boss. Okay. <laughs> so that might be a little red flag that this this struggle may not be so productive. It might be more about, uh, submission, forced submission, things like that. Is the intention of exercise to help your horse understand or show him another option that he can be happy with. So when you interview the person who's going to be helping you with your horse, do they use language like that? You know, and, is the intention of the exercise to help assuage his fears and show the horse that he's safe and that he actually can trust you? So, this would be the difference between watching a horse have a challenging lesson, a hard lesson that he's taking him a minute to figure out, but it can be totally fair versus, uh oh that's crossed the line, that's harsh, and it really comes from the intention. It can make all the difference in the world. So if you need to get help from anyone, it's really reasonable to interview them first. Have a session where they observe the problem and then you discuss it and you get their ideas, let them talk to you about what their idea about what the problem is. And then you ask them this, you say, what do you think the cause of this problem is? That's a key question because some people won't even think of that. Many trainers will just address the obvious end of the problem instead of the origin of the problem. So if you ask someone, what do you think is the root cause of this problem? You're going to quickly find out how they're thinking. You know, sometimes that surface problem does need to be addressed just in, in some degree in order to keep people safe, but you want to really soon switch and be thinking deeper. So if you have a horse who's, um, you know, plowing over you and they Do it each time, like you go to lead them and they figured out this really cool move where they just shove their shoulder into you and they knock the person over and then they run off and get loose. Yes, I'd like to think about what the reason for that problem is and I'd like to address it there, but there's probably gonna be some sort of session where I go, listen, (laughs) horse, that is not an option. And I'll either make sure I don't put myself in that situation because we can't let that happen again, or I might find a circumstance, whether it's putting a fence between me and the horse or have some way of being with the horse, getting one boundary established. So at least that's not happening (laughs) so that then I can be safe around the horse long enough to now try to get to the core underlying problem. So there's a there's again there's no recipe you got to feel this out but there's going to be a big difference if if you interview someone like me and go listen I think he's doing that because of xyz which we have to address but I need to just establish this one boundary in this one way just enough so that you know I can st- I can stay on my feet long enough to address the real issue something like that So for any method that you choose, you want to make sure that the process feels fair to the horse. It's not about creating learned helplessness or other coping mechanisms that are just going to cover up the problem because it's just going to come up later. Right? So, you know, if it's the submissive, the forced control submissive, I don't have, the horse does not have any other choice but to do this thing. And then they finally just give up. I find those, those horses who've gone into learned helplessness, when they actually get into a relaxing environment again, the behaviors come back (laughs) because they're only there because they're shut down. So being fair is about making sure there's always an option for the horse to choose something that will bring him comfort. So for me, exercises where the horse is tied up or legs picked up or, you know, roped and dropped until they stop struggling are not things that are gonna resonate with me. I might get there slower, but I think a different way will still get there and last longer. Unless the horse, well, no, there's never a reason for that. If a horse needs that, then they've probably been so messed up by a human. We still owe them some time to just decompress. So I'm not even going to get into those techniques because I just don't agree with them. They don't resonate with my core principles and priorities. So I think that the key way to determine if someone is going to be okay to help you with your horse is, do you see a choice? When you're watching an exercise, there should be always an obvious choice that the horse can choose to take. Choosing to give up is not a choice. That's learned helplessness. So you want to have the horse decide to change their behavior to a different behavior because they're learning and because they feel more relaxed and safe in with the choice that you give them. And that's the productive struggle needs to be they're presented with some options. They have something that they can choose. And the productive struggle is them taking their time to figure out their choices and pick, pick one. (laughs) And that kind of struggle is okay. So, and I, I, guess I'm, again, I'm, I'm just trying to redefine what harsh is and what gentle is, because I don't want, um, I don't want people to miss an opportunity to work with someone who might be very effective, confusing a productive struggle with harsh techniques. On the other hand, I don't want you to get your horse into a situation that actually is harsh. And that's why that, you know, have, your, have someone observe your horse without touching them. Just show them what the problem is and then discuss it with them and ask them what they think that core problem is. If they don't even think like that, then they're probably going to just be trying to control the big problem on the other end. Some people can do that artfully, but a lot of people can't. Now, some trainers that, that are willing to work with the horse might not know right away. They might need to feel the horse and they might say, you know, I need a couple sessions just to see what's going on. And that's totally fair enough. But in a session or two, you know, they should be able to kind of have a direction and start to make a plan. So again, if it's somebody that that can do that and go, okay, I've observed it. This is what I think. It sounds good to you. Do a couple sessions and then you report back. And I think that that's reasonable. I, I think at some point, you know, with all that said, once you decide you're trusting someone, you don't want to be in there micromanaging the process and yeah, butting them the whole time because there is a certain amount of free flow. And we don't know really what the plan is because the plan is going to change moment to moment, but that's why it's so important to figure out if you can trust this person going in. A lot of times people just kind of close their eyes and hand the horse to the person because they heard they were good. And I just want to open up that there's this interview process that you can go through. And if they're not open to that, then they're probably too ego driven and they probably won't be any good. If they can't bother to talk to you about your horse. (laughs) Oh, so now here's the other thing that you want to think about when you choose somebody to help you is to make sure that their system is going to align with the follow-up. So how much is their process? and their way of riding or training or being with a horse similar to what you actually are. So, you know, if you're a petite heartfelt woman with arthritic hands, then the methods that work for a six foot tall, huge ego, strong man who uses his strength, that might not be the best for you because the systems are going to be too different. Asterix disclaimer, there's lots of big, strong muscly men who are very kind and fair to horses. And there's some really nasty, petite little old women out there. So I'm not stereotyping. <laughs> Don't be fooled. <laughs> um, anyway, but just as an example, you know what I mean? Um, there's a difference in how I find, you know, different people train differently and you just have to know, like, is that person's way of being and riding that they're training the horse to be like, is that going to match what you like? Everybody likes something different. And now let's say, um, let's say that you do find decent help. They, they do, you know, have some success with the horse. Let's say the horse is going really well for them. You're going to take it back now. This is another time to sit yourself down and be really honest with yourself about yourself and say, all right, this horse is now thriving and here's what they did to get him to be thriving. Ask yourself, is that something you can do or that you want to do? So for example, Um, Maybe some horses just do great when they get to go out and gallop or work cows or they love to just, you know, trail ride and now, you know, now they're really happy. They're exuberant. They just need to like express their energy and someone who rides them and maybe does little playful bucks a little bit in the beginning of a ride, but they're playful and that rider doesn't care. So that rider and that horse just get along great. And now they're going to come back to you and you're like, I don't ever want to feel a buck and I just want to go really slow in my arena. You have to ask yourself again, is this going to work? Because the problems can come back. If this is a super exuberant horse, who just like super athlete loves to go run and move. And you don't like that at all. You're just going to drive each other crazy. So, you know, I know that can be hard, <laughs> but it's like, it's like any relationship, you both parties deserve to adore each other. But at least now you have a horse that you've, you know, if you're able to overcome the problem, then you're like, okay, now I have a happy, successful horse. And now we can find a person who loves exactly that kind of horse and you can move on with your life and get the kind that you like. <laughs> now, with all that said, the other end of the spectrum is you adjust your goals and your expectations to match the horse that's with you if you're going to be doing it on your own and you can have success with that too you've just got to make sure that you can do what you you know what needs to be done in a way that stays safe so again if it's a safety thing i don't know exactly what's going on but there are some things you can change. It'll just be on a little bit of a different time schedule or a little bit different system, but it's totally possible. So I thought I'd tell a little story about uh, a horse that I have now who came to me because of a big challenging issue. So I think this could kind of, uh, tell a story, illustrate, (laughs) uh, what I've been talking about here. So this is uh, my horse, Teo. His name has been changed to protect the innocent. (laughs) And he was given to me. I was told about him because he had what I was told was one problem. His problem was um, he had been run into by another horse in an indoor arena. And ever since then, whenever he's ridden with other horses in the arena, he will um, explosively buck until people fall off and he will keep bucking and he'll even not take care of himself and like buck himself into a wall and is dangerous. (laughs) Young horse, seven years old, lovely horse, except for that, except for that one problem. So with a very talented top level trainer and a very lovely, talented rider riding him. So you know, people who know what they're doing. This became a problem, bucked off too many times. They sent the horse to a guy to fix. He's not a cowboy, but a guy whose specialty is saving horses who are about to be put down because they're so dangerous. And he's actually, um, a very artful trainer. Amazing guy's like in his seventies. Now he doesn't do all the riding himself, but you know, he gets some of the most dangerous horses from the sport world. Usually top level trainers sending them to them. And their next stop is to be killed and he can turn them around. And for sure the horses under his care go through some productive struggles, but they're productive and they're fair And the horses have some choices and they can learn. So he's, this horse spent two months with Frank and he had some success. So he worked with the horse and this horse now could have other horses in the arena, moving against them, lots of physical contact and he was able to have the horse now not explode or buck and be I'll put quotes. <laughs> okay, with this horse. So that was someone who um the other trainers trusted. I would trust them. Um real specialty, totally fair to the horses, but addresses the problem. Went back to the other trainers. They said he was doing better but the owner decided to put him down anyway and that's how he came to me so we have to also look at the definition of okay so he was making big progress with frank went back to the same environment he was in before he came to frank um they said he was doing better but they were riding him with an overcheck <laughs> so he couldn't buck right so that's addressing the far end of the problem. Let's prevent him from putting his head down so that he can't buck. That is not addressing him wanting to buck. So when it was presented to me, this horse is about to be put down. Karen, can you take him? I called Frank. (laughs) And so what Frank had told me was, yeah, he did have a big problem. He was really happy with his progress. And what he told me was, he got to the point where he knew what he needed to do. The horse knew what he needed to do, but he wasn't happy doing it, which I thought was a really great explanation. So he had solved the big problem. The horse was functional, but he was aware that he had not addressed the core issues underneath. So he said, I think you can do something with him. Be careful, which I really appreciated. <laughs> So now I get him and I am not a f- Frank. And I know I didn't want to ride like the trainers who had him. I knew I didn't want to ride like the trainers who had him, which was covering up the issue, trying to manage it. And I didn't know how to do it like Frank does. I had to do it my way. And so what I did was decide to unravel and go all the way back to find the deepest core issue that I could find and start there. So my progress with him has been all about managing my expectations and goals. He came to me schooling third level. Now I'm like, yay, we went around the arena, the whole thing. And he didn't get stuck (laughs) or give me a creepy feeling, right? So I changed my expectations and my goals. And I found the core issue was when he would get tense, he would check out. And then that was it. And what I realized was he was probably going way over threshold. And by the time he had to explode, it was big because they were missing all the little thresholds along the way. And I have a video in the video classroom of threshold, working with thresholds with Teo. So I went back and dealt with the core issue. Frank dealt with the big issue enough that he became rideable. He eliminated that big issue. Just like I said, there's some things you have to deal with at the front just so you can all be safe. So he was able to stop the horse from, um, freaking out around other horses. He was able to accept contact with other horses and be okay there. Now I was going to go back and get rid of all the other worry that was compounding, which I think then when a horse came near him, that set them over the edge. So that's an example of that. So I hope Michelle and anybody else listening, you know, finds this helpful. It's not an easy answer. It's really not. And I, and I feel for you because I've been in that situation too of like, what am I going to do with this? (laughs) But again, I think we always have to remember that we are the advocates for the horse. And whether they stay with us or go to someone else or go to a trainer, we always just have to be thinking, how can we help this horse have the best success in life possible? So I hope that helps. Um Leave me a message. Go Come over to the Dressage Naturally Land Facebook group. Ask to join if you're not already in there. That's a great place where you can uh, leave me a comment about this podcast and let me know what you think. And yeah, I, I I hope, I hope this, I hope this helps. All right. I'll see you next time. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, Love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.